Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey there, good morning, and welcome here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield, and so glad that you're here with us. Well, today is Groundhog's Day. It's February 2nd, and this is just a sign of the times. The groundhog reportedly is checking about his shadow online remotely. Can you believe this? I have no idea. It sounds so ridiculous. But apparently there will be six more weeks of winter, according to Patuxity Phil. Uh, he predicted as he emerged from his burrow on a snowy Tuesday morning to perform his Groundhog Day duties. There you see uh, Phil, the, uh, the most famous groundhog. And there he is. You can see this was all done remote. They didn't want to have the crowds. Uh, and the folks there, they've got their masks on. They're, they are not socially distanced, um, but uh, rain or snow or COVID pandemic, they're going to proceed with this. So I give them props for this. Um, but the, it's, uh, it's all just kind of a sign of the times here about how um, ridiculous this all is. Uh, but anyway, so wishing you all a happy Groundhog Day. Uh, it feels like Groundhog Day in Washington. Every day, it's another day. It's more about how is the government going to spend your money? Um, how are our rights going to be taken away? And how should we be pushing back on that? So joining me to discuss this is Mr. David Keene. He's editor-at-large for the Washington Times. Good morning, David. Morning. You know, they must have more sunshine up there in New Hampshire than we have here, or else that groundhog's got very good eyes. <laughs> that is a very good point. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how he could see his, his it shadow. It looked like it was snowing. It was snowing. I, I don't know how you see your shadow if there's no sun to project a shadow. This is a very good point. Um, but as far as the uh, what's happening here in Washington, so you've been around this conservative movement for a long time. You led the American Conservative Union. You led the National Rifle Association. From your vantage point, what does the conservative movement do from here? Well, I think that, that you know, the, if you look at the history of America, one thing that you can almost count on, regardless of party, is that whichever party wins overreaches. And that's happening very quickly uh, with this administration because uh, Joe Biden was not elected to do the things he's already doing. Uh, he was elected and he put himself up as the unifier and sort of the not Donald Trump candidate and managed to eke out a victory. But he's been operating since the inauguration uh, more executive orders than any president in U.S. history uh, on issues that were not part of the campaign in any meaningful way. For example, uh, while he appointed Beto O'Rourke from Texas to be in charge of his gun policies, that was never discussed during the campaign except on his web page. But then even before the inauguration, he said one of his goals is to, quote, defeat the NRA. Uh, and he's got a whole series of Second Amendment restrictions that he wants either to do by regulation or, or through Congress. Same thing is true on a whole other group of issues. The likelihood is that the conservative side, the Republicans and, and, and conservatives in general, have to get their act together. But at the same time, 
uh, th he's going to be playing into their hands by doing what other presidents have done, and that's overreaching at the beginning Do you think of he's doing this now because he necessarily wants to, because Joe Biden, the man himself, for 40 years, there was an interesting profile. When he was in the 60s, he wasn't there getting arrested. He wasn't there being a, a beatnik. He wasn't there being anti-war. He wasn't there snorting cocaine on campus. He was wearing the loafers and he was a prep and he was very much of an establishment kind of person right. that that's how he's, he's spent most of his career in the Senate. Do you think he's doing this because basically he's being yanked to the left by his base? Well, on some issues, and somebody pointed out that he's been described as a centrist and it's always been true that he is a centrist. He's always been at the center of the Democratic Party. Mm. The problem is the center of the Democratic Party today is a lot different than it was in 1970. So just by that calculation, and he's a calculating politician, uh, being in the center puts you far to the left of your previous self, if you will. So in that sense, he may be consistent, but he's also got a party uh, that has, because it's moved so far, is able to leverage him. His goal was to be president. Uh, he's, he's got certain beliefs and certain uh, biases and all that, but he's not an ideological politician. But he plays to those he needs for support. And within the Democratic Party, both in the primary and now as president, because of the makeup of the party and the makeup of the congressional uh, side of the party, he has to play to the left and will. Uh, and I think that whether, you know, the, the question is not, do you believe this? The question is, are you doing it? And he's doing right. what they want him to do. Right. Well, what about the Republican Party and conservatives at this point? Because there are two women right now in the Republican Party who are embattled. Liz Cheney has her le leadership post is potentially coming under fire. She's the number three Republican in the House. And she's coming under a lot of fire because she voted to impeach President Trump the second go around. And then you've got Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's coming under fire for very different reasons for posts that she had made in the past that were endorsing violence against Democrats, which are very troubling. Um, and then she also uh, has said that the the Sandy Hook shooting was a hoax. She has since gone back and scrubbed her social media. She's reached out reportedly to one of the mothers of a child who was lost and said, no, I don't believe that it's a hoax. So it appears she's trying to clean up her act a bit. But what do you think this says about the future of the Republican Party? What's your prediction for these two women? Well, uh, Liz Cheney is a very bright politician. Uh, I would not have advised her to do what she did. Uh, but overall, she's been a, a, a big plus in the Congress for Republicans. Uh, every party and every Congress, if you look at the Democratic caucus in the House and the Republican caucus, there are a few outliers. Uh, people that uh, the mainstream part of the party says are a little out of it, and they may or may not be, but generally speaking, they're tolerated and put up with. Uh, you know, you remember the period uh, when some Democrats were claiming that the CIA created AIDS and all of this to, as an anti-black thing. Well, under today's rules, you you'd look at that and you say, well, maybe we ought to throw them out of Congress. Ordinarily, that's not what you do. Ordinarily, you isolate them because their views are so different from everybody else's. Uh, they, you know, they're elected by their constituents. They say what they say, uh, and you move on. Right. Would you advise Kevin McCarthy to strip her of her committee assignments? To do what? I'm to sorry. strip her of her committee assignments. I, that's a, that's, I, I have rarely gotten involved in that because that's like talking about uh, the high school class officers. That's really an internal deal. Uh, and I think what's going to happen is all of this is going to go is going to pass because of what we talked about a minute ago with the Democratic positions that are being taken. 
Republicans are going to unite. The battles over Trump, the battles over all this stuff are going to are going to be passé, and we're going to be on to a new battle. And I think that's what's going to happen. All right, David King, stay with us. We'll be right back. We got more with Bob Whitson. He has a new movement here of mothers whose children died in violence, but they say don't defund the police, and they're speaking out. Stay tuned. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hey there, good morning and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield and glad you're with us. Well, a group of black women are speaking out. Their children were killed in violence and now they are upset about a call to defund police. They say that this is wrong. They say that anyone who wants to defund the police would actually encourage more violence in their communities. And they are organized and a group that has been brought together by Bob Whitson, friend of the show. He organized a press conference with these mothers and they just spoke out. Uh, and now Bob Whitson joins us this morning to talk about what happened. Good morning, Bob. Well, pleased to be here. So Bob, tell us what happened with this press conference. Who are these women? How did you find them? I have been working for years with some of these moms uh, who lost children to homicide. I, I um, uh, lost a, a brother at age 29 uh, who was murdered and leaving five children behind and a nephew at 23. So I, I know firsthand what that's like. And these mothers that came to me and said, you know, everyone's talking about the conditions in our cities, but no one listens to us. And uh, while they're talking about defund the police, we, we want more police, more effective policing, and uh, no one's listening to us. And I said, well, we'll bring you together and give you a voice. And so we hired Sylvia Stone uh, Bennett, uh, a mother who lost her, her child, and she, we found out there's a network. So we now have seven cities where there are chapters of Voices of Black Mothers United, um, some of the services they provide is grief counseling for their moms. They take them on retreats, but also they have positive interaction with police. And as a result, uh, uh, they are actually some of them are actually hired uh, by the police departments so that when there's a murder scene, uh, some of the mothers are dispatched with the uh, homicide detectives so they can be in a liaison with the with the family. So the family doesn't feel uh, uh, apart. But as a result of these cooperative relationships, we've seen homicide rates. I mean, the um, closure rates on homicides decline. Uh, I mean, increase rather because there's trust built between the community and the police and more people are willing to testify. That's just one of the outcomes of uh, what's been happening with these brothers. That's interesting. And, and, and Bob, uh, our condolences to your family for your loss that you lost a family member to violence. That's very, very tragic. Um, uh, we have David Keene here. He's got a question for you. Well, I don't know if I have a question, but I, I, I will say that by giving, giving a face to these people, Bob is making a very important point. You know, last year, as this defund the police movement began and began to grow, uh, I think it was Gallup did a poll and they asked, do you believe that there should be more police on the street, the same number of police on the street or fewer police? 
And the group that wanted more uh, police on the street were black Americans who live in those cities and are the victims of crime. That was largely ignored uh, by policymakers who who were responding to these special interests. But well, what and, Bob's and doing here oh, is what he's been doing throughout his career, and that's he's giving a face to the public policy implications of some of these things. That's an incredibly valuable service. Well, and, and that's a very good point that David makes. Uh, Bob, talk a bit about that, about the, the gap here between, uh, you often talk about, for example, white liberals who conceive of these policies, who uh, who then go to the media and get the bullhorn. And, and in some cases, if you've, as you've also said, uh, maybe wealthier uh, African-Americans who live more in the suburbs, so that the folks themselves uh, who would actually have to deal with these policies uh, they're the ones who actually disagree with them. Why is there really, this big gap? You know, the biggest challenge isn't racism, it's elitism. It, it's, anytime you generalize about a group, it always means those who, and then you talk about um, resources coming to fix a problem, it always benefits those in the upper income levels of that group. It doesn't go to where the problem is. For instance, 82% of blacks surveyed support increased police. And yet, if you if you look at the the voices that are on television, they they're all black elites and white. Interesting. And where where elites. was that? Uh, where was that survey? That eighty two percent. A Pew did a survey. Yep. Uh, of Ben Gallup did uh, a survey of particular. Pew did a survey of also how many what percentage of blacks believe that racial discrimination is a principal barrier to their achieving success. And 62% said uh, sometimes, but it's not the chronic and deep problem that the left keeps uh, pushing uh, uh, that narrative that somehow black Americans wake up every day looking for racists. Bob, what about um, the fact that we're seeing a spike in crime here in Washington, D.C.? So the uh, there is a, a city councilman who is here in D.C., and he's calling for a state of emergency. There have already been three teenagers who have been fatally shot here in 2021. And it's a brand new year. Uh, you're already seeing a spike. in the, There have been 14 homicides overall in D.C. in 2021 compared to 11 last year in 2020. Uh, this is the last year was the most violent in the capital uh, in the past roughly 15 years. And then we're also seeing this in Chicago as well. In Chicago, there were 21 shot, four dead over the weekend in Chicago this past weekend. Um, but it, that was actually down from the previous weekend. At least 21 people um, shot over the weekend. And the last weekend, it was 31 shooting and seven dead. This was, uh, you know, perhaps the, 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 crease, the crease was a little bit because there was a foot of snow that was dumped on the city. Um, why do you, do you think that the spike in crime that we're seeing in cities is because police are maybe holding back and in some cases getting defunded? I know that's the case. I've been I've been saying this for about seven years, that there's a direct correlation between a police nullification or what some call the Ferguson effect. And, and crime and violence in these communities, because it means that the, the, the police are going to be accused of racism, um, then they're not going to uh, pursue uh, uh, crimes as aggressively. And as a result, the murder rate goes up. This happened in Cincinnati when there, were, there was an 800 percent increase in the murder rate in, in low-income communities. When Al Sharpton and then others conducted a boycott for a year in Cincinnati because of a police shooting of a, a, a young black man, but none of the leaders 
who organized the boycott were vilifying the police live in the areas where the murders are occurring. And it's the same throughout the country. The people advocating this assault on police, uh, the very fact that the Virginia legislature would propose legislation that would reduce uh, um, a, 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 an assault on a police officer from a felony to a misdemeanor, and this person can, can publicly advocate that and not uh, provoke the ire of, the, uh, of, of his fellow citizens. Right. I mean, that's why 62% of uh, uh, there's a recruitment problem around the country, and, and, and which means that police are going to be delayed in responding to 911 calls. Mm -hmm. um, I want to ask you, David, because you've been following the conservative movement for so long, uh, do you think the conservative movement was asleep at the wheel when it came to issues of race? Pardon? Uh, what, has the conservative movement and Republicans been asleep at, at the wheel when it comes to race? Uh, in a sense, uh, that's true, because uh, I've, 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 my philosophy is the same as Bob's, and that is you treat people as individuals. Uh, there's no such thing as a, as a black block or a white block or an Irish block or a Catholic block or all that. What you do is you talk to them, and what you find and this was somewhat exhibited in the presidential and congressional results this year, where, where blacks are beginning, in many cases, to move to the, to the Republicans. On issues, uh, many black families many uh, are as conservative as, as, as I am, mm -hmm. uh, and we haven't talked to them. Right. All right, David, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Stay tuned, folks. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Morning and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield, joined again here with David Keene, who was with the NRA, uh, and also with Antonia Okafor Cover, who is a national spokesperson for Gun Owners of America. Good morning, Antonia. Good morning. So we were just talking about Joe Biden and guns and his push with Beto O'Rourke. Tell us a bit about this, and then I'll bring David into the conversation. Yeah, well, we have no, we have absolutely no reason to expect that Joe Biden's going to be, uh, President Biden is going to be any different than he was as a senator, um, as being in government for so many uh, years. So that the fact of the matter is, is that we're going to be seeing a lot of gun legislation, gun control legislation, unfortunately, um, particularly things that are going to be banning things like the AR-15. Um, and other just really semi-automatic, normal household, uh, you know, firearms that we use every day in order to protect ourselves and, and those that we care about. And, and David, you mentioned better work specifically that he's going to be involved. How heavily do we know that this will be? Well, is it Antonio some... is exactly right. Throughout his career, Joe Biden's been at the front edge of efforts to restrict firearms ownership in the Senate as vice president. Uh, he's expressed hostility toward firearms, as well as a misunderstanding of them. You remember he said we should train police to shoot people in the leg, if, that if you're threatened, you should just go out on your porch and fire your shotgun up into the air and all this sort of thing. He doesn't get it, but he does share 
the quasi-religious fervor that exists on the left, the belief that, uh, like the uh, unilateral disarmament people, that if we just if we just got rid of guns, we'd live in a utopia. Uh, that's bordering on an insane view of, uh, of the consequences of doing that. But Antonio is right about the things she outlined before he was sworn in. He said, I intend to defeat the NRA. And the first thing he suggested uh, is getting rid of the, uh, of the Lawful Commerce and Firearms Act, which would allow uh, people to sue gun companies when someone misuses a firearm. Uh, to, to sue them if someone's injured while someone's robbing your 7-Eleven, which would be tantamount to allowing a, uh, a drunk, you know, somebody who's hit by a drunk driver to sue Ford because they gave him a car. That's not allowed under present law. In the 90s, uh, the uh, anti-gun people tried to do that, not because they thought they'd win. They lost every suit, but they were trying to break the gun companies. When you hear uh, legendary names like Remington and Winchester, you think of these big, successful companies. Most of them barely survive. And finally, the Congress said, enough of that. You can't sue people for, for engaging in perfectly lawful commerce. Biden wants to allow uh, people to go after these companies again in the hopes of breaking them. And what have you heard on that front with the commerce attack? Is that something that you've heard as well, Antonia? Yeah, well, I mean, unfortunately, it's um, everything under the sun when it comes to this administration. We have things like, for example, today, uh, the pending um, nominee uh, confirmation of the DHS uh, nominee, which he is completely anti-gun as well. And then we have uh, Congress, of course, like Sheila, Representative Sheila Jackson Lee, who is trying to push the H.R. 127 Act, which is a national firearm registry and also make sure that before you can even get a firearm, before you can purchase a firearm, you have to go through a um, extensive psychological testing and valuation. And so those are just two of the things that, you know, President Biden and the rest of the administration and of course, Congress are wanting to push. And it's gonna be very paramount that we force the filibuster and make sure that we keep that in order to stop these gun control bills from going through. Uh, Antonio, we were just talking in the previous segment about the movement to defund police. And there's a new group of mothers who lost children to gun violence or just a homicide. They lost their children to homicide. And now they're opposing defunding the police. We're seeing a rise in gun ownership across board across demographics, including among black Americans and Latino Americans. Do you think specifically part of this, especially in uh, maybe some of these minority uh, majority areas, is because of the push to defund police? Because people feel like, uh, you know, my safety could be at risk. I, I need to protect myself. Absolutely. And the fact of the matter is, is that there are many people from across the board politically who bought the 8 million firearms last year. There's 8 million, rather even more so, but 8 million new gun owners last year around COVID time because they understand that their safety is truly in their own hands. Um, unfortunately, it, it's kind of interesting to me that those who, who have pushed to defund the police have not also then 
if you're going to defund the police, then it really is going to be up to you to be able to t take care of yourself and those you care about. Um, I, I would be interested to see if that actually happens, if that ever uh, came to fruition. But the fact of the matter is, anyways, is that the Constitution is there for a reason, is to protect our Second Amendment, which is not even a constitutional right. It is a human right. And so it's important, regardless of what background that you're in, that you understand that everyone has the human right to protect and defend themselves with whatever firearm, whatever arm that they so choose. So, David, let's let's play the movie forward on what you were talking about with this commerce push. Do you think that there, we would see movement on this in Congress this session? And then if that happens, do you think that the uh, are people going to have to go abroad to purchase firearms? What would be the end result? Well, they can of this? restrict that, too, uh, and they can do that by regulation. A lot of these fights are going to be hard fought uh, because the Congress is not as as clearly on the side of firearms control as it appears from the mere partisan break, breakdown. Uh, and we've got an election coming up in two years. We've got a House that's now much more closely divided than it was before. And we've got a Senate that's dead even. A lot of the people that are going to be running for re-election know what Joe Biden knew during the campaign, and that is you don't talk about these things because you're liable to lose if you talk about them, because the American people are not in favor of restricting firearms rights and gutting the Second Amendment. So you so think you the want commerce, it, but if you you're going to fight in Congress, is, you have to talk about it. So, so you think the commerce issue you think will probably not go anywhere? Second in order to win, they have to do two things, one of which An Antonio talked about, and that's the filibuster, because it's going to be very difficult in the Senate uh, to get people like Joe Manchin and some others from states that are really dominated by Second Amendment. Even, even Bernie Sanders. And, and, of course, the NRA once endorsed Bernie Sanders because coming from a state filled with armed socialists, he was for firearms freedom. But, but the fact is, the other problem is the Supreme Court. Many of the things, many of the things that Biden has proposed uh, will be declared unconstitutional if passed. And so that means that they have to change the Supreme Court, and that's one of the reasons they want to do that, and they're dedicated to, to, uh, to packing it. Uh, we'll keep an eye out on that. Uh, Antonia, what, what should we be looking for as far as if, if you're an activist who believes in gun rights, what is sort of the toolkit or what advice do you give them? Well, really, we're going to see a lot of, like I said before, gun control legislation in this administration. But what we did during the Obama administration, which is, you know, if anything, uh, just the same as this one, is that we at Gun Owners of America made sure that the filibuster was intact. And that's why it's so important, like you were saying, Senator Manchin, um, that we have our gun owners, our activists, and which 2 million strong at Gun Owners of America push through and contact their legislators and contact their senators and let them know we must keep the filibuster in order to have a fighting chance when it comes to destroying these gun control bills. All right, Antonia Okafor, cover. Stay with us. We'll be right back. She is a spokeswoman for the Gun Owners of America. And David King, thanks so much for joining us here on My set. My pleasure. My pleasure. All right, folks, we'll be right back with more with Antonia. Stay with us. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
Good morning and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield and glad that you're with us. So Ryan T. Anderson is the president of the Ethics and Public Policy Center, newly minted. He just joined. He just left Heritage after a long stint there. He's also the founding editor of Public Discourse, the online journal of the Witherspoon Institute of Princeton, New Jersey. And Ryan has a new op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. It's an interesting Take. Uh, he's also the author of the book called When Harry Became Sally, Responding to the Transgender Movement. And this op-ed that Ryan uh, just dropped um, on January 31st looks at his perspective. So he is a devout Catholic, but the headline is that religious liberty isn't enough. He says religious liberty is important, but it's only part of the story. As the Biden administration advances a divisive and extreme social agenda, our response can't simply be a polite request to be left alone. We need to oppose the left's agenda on the merits. It's the principled thing to do, and it will be good politics, given where the American people actually are on the issues. Ryan joins me this morning. Good morning. Good morning here, Ryan. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So your essay, you look in, uh, you say that conservatives have science on your side. So do you think that conservatives have failed because they try to make arguments that are religious based and a secular, increasingly secular society, especially a very secular media? They don't respond. Do you think it's sort of tone deaf that conservatives have been tone deaf? Yeah, I mean, I think part of the problem here was that frequently we phrase everything we're concerned about as if it's a religious liberty concern. And that really misses, to my mind, let's just take some of the transgender issues right now. Um, when I was at Heritage, I formed all sorts of partnerships with you know, self-identified radical feminists, uh, self-identified liberals, lesbians, and their concern was that they took biology seriously and that biology isn't bigotry and they didn't want males in their private spaces. Uh, they didn't want their daughters competing against boys who identified as girls. You don't need to be religious uh, to have that concern. It's not a religious liberty concern. And I think we do ourselves a disfavor if we frame it as if it's a religious issue. Uh, this is a basic human nature issue. It's a human equality issue. It's a justice issue. And we can form larger alliances uh, when we uh, speak that way. And, and, and you write in your op-ed, you said the left would love to frame these issues as if they pitted reason and science against superstition. But on all of these issues, social conservatives are on the side of the biological facts. The Democratic Party and the left are the science deniers. I know one argument on pro-life issues is this question of science. And we know more about child development than we did scientifically, uh, even when Roe v. Wade was passed. What have you seen as far as that on the, their life issue when it comes to science? I think you see more and more uh, secular pro-lifers. And uh, look at social issues. It typically, uh, the polling shows that millennials are more socially progressive on certain sexual issues, but they're more pro-life. Um, and the reason why is that it's very hard to deny that science. Um, most of us, the first baby picture we have of our children is an ultrasound image. And not just the religious people who are watching this, right? Many secular people they announce their pregnancy by posting an ultrasound photo to their Facebook page. They do a gender reveal while the baby's still uh, gestating, right? So sex isn't assigned at birth when they already know the sex of the child at the 20-week ultrasound. I, I think we can uh, show that faith and reason go together. Science and the Bible aren't in conflict. Uh, and that's going to be a, a necessary um, uh, uh, endeavor I think for people of faith in a somewhat post-religious uh, West, that we're going to have to do the hard work of showing that our beliefs aren't only 
uh, believable, but they're reasonable, they're true, and that the best of science, the best of philosophy, the best of law um, need not have any conflict. These things go together hand in hand. Well, I was talking about this issue with my producer, and we talked about the fact that when it comes to science, science is often shifting quite a bit. Uh, an example is Dr. Anthony Fauci, the way he talked about masks, for example. And um, we just had an essay or an article, my colleague Joe Curl here at Just the News. Fauci res reverses himself again. He says the double masking for COVID-19 doesn't make a difference. First, he had said, don't wear a mask. Then he said to wear a mask. Then he said to wear two masks. Then he said, just wear one mask. Keeping up with Dr. Anthony Fauci's mask wearing recommendations is getting tough. So talk about that as far as how science changes so much and how does that affect your beliefs? Sure. I mean, I think one of the things you've seen here is that people try to um, abuse science. Uh, people who have um, the name, you know, medical doctor or they're a PhD scientist, they will claim authority on behalf of science when the evidence doesn't actually support what they claim it does. And you see this sometimes in the abortion debate. You'll have medical doctors say it's just a clump of cells. You'll have scientists say, well, you know, there isn't a scientific consensus on when life begins. When anyone who's taken basic biology, embryology, developmental biology knows that sperm and egg are parts of the mom and the dad, but then that new zygote, the embryo, the fetus, is a new, whole, complete, but immature human being. I think something similar is happening right now with gender dysphoria. Um, people using scientific expertise are trying to tell us that gender identity is how you determine sex. But I think ordinary people understand that simply as a matter of biology, we're embodied as male and female. It's based upon how the body is organized with respect to sexual reproduction. Um, there's male and there's female. It's not a spectrum. Uh, it's not a hybrid. It's not fluid. And so I think what we need to be cautious of are scientists and scientific experts who actually ab abuse uh, real scientific knowledge and data uh, for partisan agendas. Uh, and you can see that in the abortion debate. You can see it in the transgender debate. And unfortunately, it's even played out in the COVID debate. All right, Ryan Anderson, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you. And congratulations on your new role. He's the new president there at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. You know, I just learned that the term he mentioned, the word fetus, in Latin, it actually means little one. Uh, so it, it certainly is a nod to uh, some form of personhood there, uh, just a little one. So anyway, well, folks, we'll be right back. Stay tuned. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Good morning. Welcome back here to Just the News AM. I'm Carrie Sheffield and glad you're with us. So I love to get viewer feedback and you guys did not hold back yesterday. So yesterday I put out the question. I said, Biden is meeting with 10 GOP senators to discuss a smaller COVID package. The GOP wants $600 billion versus Biden's $1.9 trillion. Will there be a compromise? And we have Trump's former economist, chief economist, Joe Lavorna on the program. What about compromise? You guys responded. Jamie O'Neill says a compromise. Democrats already said that if Republicans don't do what they want, then they'll move forward without them. So, no, it's a totalitarian dictatorship now. 
POTUS is signing 40-plus executive orders in two weeks, and Dems are leaving out the filibusters. Welcome to China. David Williams says, I would only meet with Biden if Susan Rice is with him. She is the decision maker after she gets Obama's approval. We have to verify that, David Williams. Um, Davos number two says, isn't there 800 billion that hasn't been used from before? That is a very good question. And I'm wondering about your name here, Davos. Is this done in irony to say this is a a note of irony of the Davos crowd? Because that was a big part of why President Trump won, uh, was to push back on sort of the globalist order, the Davos crowd uh, controlling all the decisions and and forgetting the folks at home, forgetting the common man and woman. Uh, Very interesting name. I don't know, Davos number two. Uh, Shoot me a, a, a tweet at Carrie Sheffield. Uh, Let me know uh, the story behind your name there. But in any case, uh, Davos number two is bringing out the fact that there is a lot of money that has not already been used, that was already passed, it was signed by former President Trump. It still hasn't been spent yet. So, all right, that does it for us, folks. Stay tuned. More Room is next.